0: Welcome to the what we talked about in class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina. Underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. To jump in and talk about what we've been talking about with soft skills, I don't know. Did I talk about being friendly? I think I might have wrote that on there on Thursday afternoon. But I will just I added two up there, be friendly and listen. Um, friendly is an obvious thing. You want to be likable. Nobody wants to talk to somebody that complains a lot. You know, just as a soft skill in the workplace, if you're coming to work and complaining a lot about work and about life, people don't like that. So you want to avoid that. But the listen part is, um, I heard a quote years ago that your ears and your mouth are in proportion at two to one, and that's the ratio that you should use it. Meaning that you should listen twice as much as you speak, and I actually had a mentor uh, several years ago now tell me uh, that as you advance through your career, that you should um, listen more and speak less, because uh, people value your feedback, but the more valuable it becomes, the less often you should give it, because uh, you don't like there's an accountability that comes with your what you say. And the more you say, you're, you're likely to say something wrong. Abraham Lincoln had a quote that, I'm probably going to butcher it, but I'll try to get it. He said, better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Meaning that no matter how smart you are, you're going to say something stupid every once in a while. So better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. All right, so those are our soft skills for today. And that leads us into the lecture, which we're on chapter five now. And I'm going to jump in, let's see. They really make it hard for me to find this stuff. Let's see, I think it's in storage, maybe. There we go. Chapter five. Is the lighting up cool or you guys want the lights on? You, You cool with this? You like this? Okay, cool. All right, so we're talking about different types of businesses today. And you may have heard of some of these different types of businesses, but uh, we're actually going to jump into the breakdown of the various forms of a business. The cool thing about business is that you can open a business right now and just say, I'm going to open a business right now. I'm going to start a car wash or I'm going to start a painting or I'm going to start a cleaning service or whatever you want to do. You don't have to fill out any paperwork to do that. You can declare yourself a sole proprietor. You don't have to, you don't have to go get I mean, Depending on what it is, sometimes you might need a permit You know, some businesses do require a permit or license. Like, I can't just go say I'm going to be a barber without being a licensed barber beautician person. But for the the most part, for all intents and purposes, you can declare yourself a sole proprietor and go into business. Uh, Keep in mind that, like I said, there are some industries that require certification, but for the most part, it's very easy. You don't need any additional uh, tax documentation, no additional forms, and how that works is any income that you bring in as a sole proprietor, you pay taxes on it like you would regular income, and so um, makes it really simple from a tax standpoint. If you if you, let's say that you've got a traditional job, at your tr- traditional job you made forty thousand dollars a year. That's your income. On your side job, you've got a sole proprietorship that you bring in 20 in revenue. After you pay all your bills, you've got 10000 in profit. And so that 10000 profit is taxable as income for you as a sole proprietor. And you're going to owe tax, a tax liability on that. And so um, I've probably said this to you guys before, but I'm going to say it again. When I first got into teaching business, I talked a lot about marketing. I talked a lot about logos and the fun stuff, the product and the service. And I didn't talk as much about the things that are absolutely essential for business, which is taxes and exit strategy. And I have already mentioned taxes and exit strategy, you guys. I don't know. what did you talk about in week one? So, <laughs> But taxes, that's something that if you don't plan correctly, especially if you're an entrepreneur sole proprietor, that can really come back to haunt you uh, when tax season comes around. Um, I have a friend whose wife is a beautician and she pays quarterly taxes just to kind of keep her tax uh, liability in check. Because you would hate to, let's say in a year's time, she's done $40,000 in revenue. She's a sole proprietor. I mean, I don't know how much her expenses are to buy, you know, pay rent or booth rent, to buy equipment and whatnot, different products. But let's say all her equipment and expenses are 10000 Well, now she has a tax liability of $30,000 that she's paid zero in taxes on I mean, that could be a steep tax bill depending on what tax bracket or family falls into. And so I always advise students that as you get into – even if you're not an entrepreneur or don't own a business, you still want to talk to to qualified tax professionals that know how to advise you with regards to tax liability. Um, The difference between wealthy people and everybody else is the wealthy people have hired people to give them tax advice – that teach them how to use the tax system to their advantage. There's a difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance. Tax evasion will land land you in jail. Tax avoidance is the legal way to pay the least amount of taxes possible. And there's a difference between the two. Tax avoidance, I didn't pay my taxes, I'm going to jail or I owe penalties and interest. But tax avoidance is I talked to a tax professional who talked who convinced me to shelter my money in such a way that I don't have as big a tax liability. Mm-hmm. Give you an example of tax evasion and avoidance. Um, a truck owner, a truck company owner, he, he um, earned a bunch of money that he didn't report to the IRS. They found out about it. Now he, he's getting sued by the IRS. He owes back taxes, he owes fees, fines, and he may face prison time, so that's a problem. But instead of doing that, the truck owner says, let me talk to a tax professional Tax professional advises them, well, if you want to reduce your tax liability, um, you can take some of this money and put it in tax shelter investments. You can take some of it and buy additional equipment. Those are expenditures for your businesses, which reduces your tax liability. And now that money didn't disappear from your existence. It's still within your ecosystem, and you didn't have to pay those taxes to the government. Uh, And it avoids this... Fine fee, you know, interest and penalty uh, situation. So, taxes are so important. I harp on that uh, throughout the the course of the semester, and especially now that we're getting close to tax season. Um, The other thing we are in tax season, the other thing is exit strategy. Exit strategy meaning, don't ever put yourself in a situation you can't get out of easily. So one example, let's say you want to open a business, you have no money. You can go do a couple things. You can go borrow money from friends and family. You know that's. Potentially one thing, but what happens if you lose it? Are they going to hate your guts? Are they going to gonna cut you off and never talk to you again? So that's one thing. You could save for years your own money and risk your own money to do that. That's another thing. Or you can go open up five credit cards that's got a $5,000 limit on each and borrow 25000 against credit cards. You know, out of those three options, the middle one is the best, better path where you save your own money and invest your own money and risk your own money. Because if you... As a sole proprietor, do that five credit card strategy and this business doesn't work out like you thought it was? You're on the hook for 25 grand. What's the exit strategy there? How do you get out from underneath that? Is bankruptcy your exit strategy? No, that's not a good exit strategy. So you need to always be aware of, you want to put yourself in a situation where you can easily get out of it without a lot of pain if it doesn't work out. So that's something you need to always be thinking of is like, okay, if this doesn't work out, how do I get out of the situation without liability to myself? It will be a shame to go into business, do well, you, you're doing well for years, and then all of a sudden you have an off year and it puts you into personal bankruptcy and you've got a ton of debt that's, that's left over, you know, from the business and stuff. So, um, that yeah, so be thinking taxes and exit strategy. Didn't mean to scare you right out of the gate with those uh, doomsday talks, you know, but it's important to be sober about <clears throat> what is involved in going into a business because – when you open a business, you're responsible for another entity, almost like a child. And if you ignore it, you know, if, you, if this business causes problems, they don't go away. They, they follow you around. So, All right. <clears throat> so well, when two giant media companies merged in 2019, this company became an even greater entertainment colossus. The company is now a stronger position to compete with Netflix. In addition to introducing a new streaming service, this company now owns 60% of Hulu. Who bought 60% of Hulu in 2019, do you think? was it? Disney. Disney, that's correct. So Disney saw something on the horizon. They said, well, we're a media company in addition to all the other things we do. Uh, but we see that Netflix has entered the scene in the media industry and they're dominating and we need to step into this in a serious way or we're going to get left behind. And so they thought a smart way to do this was to buy a chunk of an existing company, which is Hulu. How about now, though, they're looking to potentially sell their stake in Hulu because of all the losses they're incurring from Disney+. Plus. I think they lost $1.5 billion last year on, on Disney+. Plus. Because they're investing a lot on the front end, hoping to get subscribers, and that pays off on the back end. I think they're doing a good job with Disney Plus so far because they've got, I want to say, I don't know if it's a hundred million, but it's getting close. They got a ton of subscribers. I need to look up that number. All right, so basic forms of ownership: sole proprietorship. That's that's an individual, a business owned and usually managed by one person, and most businesses start out this way, just one person doing their own thing. Uh, like I said, they don't have to declare it to anybody else, but you better be sure you're keeping up good sales records and, and receipts of everything that you're purchasing for the business. A partnership is a legal form of business with two or more owners, and a corporation is a legal entity with authority to act and have liability separate from its owners. And so we're going to get into the, the weeds on what each one of these things does but each one of these has different advantages and different disadvantages. Um, And I'll I'll kind of spell that out a little bit more as we move along. So sole proprietor, partnership, and corporation. So although corporations make up only 20% of the total number of businesses, they earn 81% of the total receipts. Think about that for a second. These companies only make up 20% of the total number of businesses, but they earn 80% or 81% of the, the receipts so it just shows you that, even though sole proprietors outnumber corporations eight to two, uh, or four to one, you know, but the corporations are so large and so powerful, they're bringing in four to one uh, receipts. Sole proprietors are the most common form, at seventy two percent, but they earn only six percent of the receipts. So that's really fascinating that corporations really dominate the marketplace, and. Uh, I don't know, I have mixed opinions on it. Um, Corporations are, just like everything, good and bad. The good thing is that they have figured out how to streamline processes to get us goods and service faster and cheaper. That's a good thing. Um, What do you think some of the downside is of, of corporations, though? So a downside would be that they put a lot of downward pressure on sole proprietors. How can I, as a sole proprietor, compete against a large corporation? You know, if I decide I want to start making T-shirts and putting them out, there's no way I can buy enough T-shirts to get a better price than Walmart. You know, just can't do it. So I've got to differentiate myself in some other way. So what I've seen lately is T-shirt companies, just using that as an example, they come out with unique designs and branding. Is there a T-shirt brand that you guys particularly like or love? Is there anything that comes to mind? Like my 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 girls and my wife like, like Simply Southern. That's an example. But what's different between Simply Southern than any other t-shirt? Simply Southern say Simply Southern and they have a neat little design on it, right? So is there a brand of clothing that you guys particularly kind of cling to or that you like? Anything come to mind? I'm pretty much clothing agnostic. I don't care. But some people are very specific about t-shirts and clothing they like. You know, my... My college roommate was very, like, he liked Banana Republic or, or Gap or something, you know. I don't care. Yeah, so um, I can see you guys are not the T-shirt crowd. That's okay. But the way these smaller companies compete against corporations is through differentiation. They can't compete on price, so they have to do something that's a little different, something that sets them apart and makes them uh, more desirable than a lower cost alternative. You know, I could go buy a t-shirt all day long for three or four dollars at Walmart, but it's not gonna have that cool logo or design on it that all the kids are interested in, you know. Has anybody ever owned a Hydro Flask water bottle? Do you know what it is? Yeah, I know what it is. So a Hydro Flask water bottle is basically like a thermos, right? Or one of those Yeti water bottles. Does anybody own a Yeti? You love? Oh, a Yeti. You love Yeti? Yeah. Drink the Kool-Aid. What do you mean by that? Like, fully invested. You're full, you're full Yeti. I'm, I'm loving. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. There's cheaper options that are just the same. I understand. I'm paying for the name. That's fine. No, no. I'm, I'm loving that you're loyal. I like it. I'm glad to hear somebody say this because um, there is something appealing about Yeti. I get it. Like, I look at these three or $400 coolers. I've not pulled the trigger yet. I'm thinking about it. Maybe someday I'll grow up to do that. You know, I'll aspire to do that. But... But why is it that you're so brand loyal to Yeti? I think it's something about being first in the market and, like, the, the bar that they set and, like, yeah, what well, America, bear proof. Right. Like, look, like, all that's ridiculous. But it's like, well, that's kind of cool, too. Like, I don't know. It's just the dumb, like... And I think... And they're, like... They do a wonderful job of, like, their social media. Yeah. It's phenomenal because, like, half of it is, like customer testimony. Sure. Like, how bad people mess up coolers or whatever. Right. And like, hey, man, it still works. And then you also, I guess, kind of like buy to the well. like, i just bought one cooler and that'll be with me for the rest of my life. If I do buy a Yeti, which I'm thinking I will at some point, just to check that box, you know, I bought a Yeti one time, Um, I will keep it in my house and I'll probably sleep on it, you know, like, just, I'm being facetious. but. Mine's at the foot There you go, yeah, yeah. But I'll probably keep it around the island in my kitchen just to say, there's the Yeti, everybody. Look at it, you know. So, But, yeah, I would – but here's the thing. Okay, I don't own a lot of luxury items. I don't, you know. Like I've got an expensive pen my dad gave me. Um, I'm trying to think anything else that I would consider a luxury item. That might be it. But there is something about paying more for a product that you have this placebo effect that happens in your brain that you perceive more value of that product Even though there might be a substitute product that's a third of the price that's equally effective, you know, something about paying more for it changes the consumer's perception of that product, you know. So, like, if my wife has a purse that she paid $100 for and she sees a Louis Vuitton purse that's $800, even though they're both functionally a purse and they could look almost identical, there is some, like, consumer mentality psychology that happens that allows us to have more perceived value out of the more expensive products. And same thing for true with Yeti. Like, so where I was going with this, on the, the T-shirt example to the Yeti example, I've got some Yeti thermoses that I'm sure were like 40 bucks. I have no idea, you know. But I can go buy an Arctic, same thing, for $8 or $10, and functionally the same. They've actually done tests, and I've read a few on Yetis versus other similar coolers, and Yeti does perform better. You know, they took bags of ice and left it in there for days, and Yeti held up a little bit better, so... But yeah that, that brand loyalty man um, but going using the yetis example, if I want to get into the cooler business, how can I compete with a corporation like yeti you know what I'm saying like I mean what do I have to do to make my cooler special enough to break into that consumer you know mentality you know so that's that's the challenge that all the small business owners see we're, we're four to one corporations to small business. But there's four of us for every one of them, and every four of us are trying to figure out how to take them down. You know, how can I compete against the big guy and differentiate my product enough to get consumers to buy into it enough to when I can become the big guy? You know, that's what they're constantly fighting to do. It's, it's a, there's a reason we read our reward business class because it's continually a perpetual war that we're raging small versus big. You know, small guys are trying to uh, be big, and the big is trying to keep them small, you know. Uh, it's been going on for centuries. That's the way it's been. Even back to the East India Trading Company. You guys watch, uh, what, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Yeah, East India Trading Company was the largest company in the world at one point. They dominated. And they were trying to maintain that, that empire, you know, over smaller uh, outfits. So let's talk about sole proprietorships a little bit more. The advantages of sole proprietorships is the ease of starting and ending a business. Hey, one day I'm going to open up a paint shop. That's not going well. I'm closing it. That's it, no big deal. And you can set up a Facebook page or set up a website. There's all kinds of really easy ways to go into business with spending minimal, if any, money. I mean, like, I would say that if you want to start a business, I could do it for uh, under a hundred dollars. We can get you a business going with a good logo, business cards, web presence, social media presence, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Snapchat, you name it, we'll have all that ready to go, and yeah, you can have a business presence looking good pretty quickly for under a hundred. Um, but <clears throat> that's that's the advantage of being a sole proprietor. But but the great thing about that is is that if you decide it's not working out, you can just close shop and, and move on. Have you heard that term serial entrepreneur? A serial entrepreneur is somebody that's perpetually opening more and more businesses. Um, if you know some of them are successful, some of them are not, but. They know if they keep going and trying to find that right connection, eventually they're going to hit you know, have a lightning strike and they're going to uh, be able to connect a product or service with a consumer in a meaningful way and really uh, do something special. Another advantage is being your own boss. That's an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage of being your own boss is there's nobody to tell you what to do. The disadvantage is there's nobody to tell you what to do. So, like, I mean it's hard being your own boss because you don't always know what to do. You know, here's the, here's the, here's the funny thing. When I was growing up, I always looked at adults. You guys have all the answers, right? You're adults. And then like, as I got older, the adults started looking at me for answers. I'm like, I thought you guys had it figured it out. You know, oh no, you're an adult now. You should help us, you know, tell We're all trying to figure it out. That's the thing. So that's the big, one of the big mysteries is that nobody has all the answers, Uh, Even the people you think have it all figured out are still winging it. So being your own boss, that can be an advantage and a disadvantage. You might think, oh, I'm going to be free. I can wake up when I want. If you talk to most entrepreneurs, they'll tell you it's often harder work than working a traditional 8-to-5 or 9-to-5 job because you're on your own. You're completely autonomous uh, to make all the decisions, to do all the work, make sure everything's getting done. The pride of ownership is big. You do get the bragging rights uh, on this company. Leaving a legacy, if you produce a company that's perpetually sustainable, meaning that it can sustain itself and earn uh, revenue and profits beyond your lifetime, your family can inherit that. Retention of company profits, yeah, if you build it, it's your company, you keep the money. And no special taxes. What that means is, is that as you earn income on this company, you pay just the regular rates. Now, here's a word of caution. Um... And this is why you have to talk to tax professionals. What I tell you is simply just from an educational standpoint, you should always talk to tax professionals when it comes to your personal tax situation because the tax law changes year to year. I'm not a tax expert. Um, That being said, let's say you work a job. You make $50,000 a year great. So you're in a specific tax bracket and then you say, hey, I'm going to go out and be a sole proprietor. I'm going to start a business and it takes off. Boom. So, you know, first year you do 30K, next year you do 100K. Well, guess what? You're in a whole new tax bracket now, buddy. And so that's going to jack up your entire tax liability. And so unless you talk to a tax professional and figure out ways to reduce your tax exposure, you're going to be on the hook for some serious taxation there. So um, the, the repeated advice I'm going to give you over again is talk to a tax professional who can help you Legally avoid your tax, or legally reduce your tax exposure. That's a that's a good way to put it. Is that why some people like have to pay more taxes, like the end of the year? So, there's a number of reasons why some people have to pay more taxes. But one of them could be that they haven't paid enough tax. If if you're an employee and you're not withholding a lot through your your check is being held back, uh, when the tax time comes around and your tax exposure is high. Then you may have to pay some more in, so you have to get a ta- instead of getting a tax refund, you are having to send them the government a check. That is not an ideal situation. What's also not an ideal situation is getting a large refund. Let's say you do your taxes, they they give you back five grand. You think, all right, five grand. Here is what happened: the the government basically was holding your money for a year, uh, with no interest. You are not getting any yield off of that. The ideal scenario is actually zero pay in, zero back. That's hard to do, so it doesn't, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't happen that often, but that, that means that you're paying the correct amount of taxes throughout the year. Uh, in case you didn't know it, we have a very complicated tax system. We really should have a very simple tax system, but why do you think we have a complicated tax system? Because not everyone else has a tax. <laughs> because not everybody knows that they're taxes, and you basically are saying what I was going to say, which is there's a whole industry around paying taxes, and I'm sure it's a billion-dollar industry, and there's a lot of stakeholders and then, and the government wants to keep it complicated because people, like with the law, need, need an interpreter. You know, like even me, I'm an educated person, but I don't do my own taxes because I know it's complicated and I don't want to mess with it. So I pay a guy who's a tax expert to navigate that for me, and I don't have to worry about messing something up. You know, that's he's an expert. So. <clears throat> All right. Any questions or comments in addition about sole proprietorship? All right. So this is an example. Evan, better known as Evan Tube EvanTubeHD, does anybody know this kid? Yeah, I, don't I don't either. Know. You, no? Started making toy unboxing videos on YouTube when he was a little kid. Now a teenager with more than 6 million subscribers, Evan creates viral content with his whole family and earns more than $1 million per year from ads and sponsorship. Do you have a passion you would like to pursue as a business? So while you're thinking about that, um, I have... A, a colleague that worked with me here for a little bit and she said I'm going to I want to go start a business and do painting and do painting classes I said well that's great but I said I bet you can make more money streaming you painting on TikTok and YouTube than actually selling the paintings because people love to watch that stuff I mean um do any of you guys watch TikTok no I watch it maybe once a week maybe twice a week well, I, I'm not a big TikToker but I'll turn it on, and all only videos I watch are people making stuff or building stuff. I like that kind of stuff where you got the guys that'll find a dirt hole and they'll turn it, they'll make a house out of it or something. I like I like that kind of content, you know. Or they're they're making any kind of like I like I like to watch the guys in Asia making soy sauce or something like that, you know. But yeah, people love to watch content creators unboxing stuff. I couldn't believe it when my my girls were little; they were watching these kids open toys on YouTube and they thought did you guys ever watch anything like that? No? <clears throat> that's a relatively new phenomenon but yeah kids love that stuff. They like watching other kids open toys and stuff and uh, uh, anybody know who Ryan is? The guy on YouTube that unboxes toys? Ryan's World? No, I thought that was, huh? I thought that was no that's not Ryan that's Evan. <laughs> yeah. But Ryan this little kid he he's I think the last time I checked, he was YouTube's top earner. He makes like 20 million a year doing his. He started with toy unboxing, 20 million. How about um, Mr. Beast? Anybody know who Mr. Beast is? Do you know Mr. Beast is out of Greenville? He bought, I heard he bought a strip mall, like a little shopping center, and he turned it into his production studio. And he's constantly putting out these big productions, you know. Uh, I didn't meet him personally, but. This this is a my wife's first cousin son Chris is works for Mr. Beast. And so um I was at Chris's wedding and Mr. Beast was there. I should have gone to take uh, talk to him. I didn't do it. But he's big time now. Mr. Beast's company is worth one point five billion dollars. Mm-hmm. He's he's yeah, he's got it going on, so but here's the thing. When I ask kid my kids, what do you want to do when you grow up, they also they both said my, my daughter said they want to be an influencer. I was like, okay. And you ask other kids now, what do you want to do when you grow up? A lot of them say, I want to be an influencer or a YouTube star or an Instagrammer or a TikToker. And that's all good and fine. But I would say that would be a nice side gig to, turn, to maybe turn into something, you know. But not necessarily a primary plan A, you know, to be an Instagram or a TikToker. I mean, the, the, there's so many talented people on these streaming platforms. I mean, thousands and thousands of people that are very talented. Uh, you know, and they just never really get scale, they never get that big viral moment because there's just so many people that do this stuff so my advice when it comes to content creation is make content that you like to make and if other people can connect with it that's great and you might find an audience but to get into millions and millions of views I'm just, I, I, it's very difficult to get there, it's a, it's a tough road but I, I, that could be a nice plan B but plan A needs to be something grounded that you can that you can feel more structured with. All right, so some additional things, some disadvantages about sole proprietorships. Uh, disadvantages: unlimited liability. This is a big one. The responsibility of the business owners for all debts of the business. You can lose your house. That is not good. You know, um, I had an uh, I have an acquaintance. They owned a business. Business went under. They had debt obligations for the business because they were sole proprietor. They had a lien put on their house. What that means is when they sell their house, the bank will get their first cut. They get their money first. And then whatever's left after the the mortgage is paid off, the owner will get that equity that's left. Yeah. Remember I talked about exit strategy? Don't put yourself in that situation. If you know that your business is going to scale and you're going to have a significant amount of income in business, You want to have an LLC at minimum, limited liability corporation. We'll talk about that in a moment. And so some other disadvantages, limited financial resources, it's all on what you can bring in and what you've got. Um, That that puts a limitation on things. Management difficulties, overwhelming time commitments, yeah. You're on call 24-7, 365 when it's your business. Few fringe benefits, yeah. Yeah. when you work for an organization, you know, I work for the state. Um, if I had to pay for my full family insurance, I think it would be around six or $700 a month. But the company pays like $1,200 a month on top of that. So if I had to pay that as a sole proprietor, we're talking $1,800 a month for a family for full insurance. And that's just for health, not to mention dental, vision, all the other things. So... Working for a company versus sole proprietors have, you know, I, in fact, I know quite a few sole proprietors that work for an organization full time for the benefits and then they do their own thing on the side. And you see a lot of that happening. Limited growth, uh, limited lifespan. If you're a sole proprietor, that business lives and dies by you alone. All right, let's talk about some other things. So time commitments. Being sole proprietor of a company like a flower shop means making major time commitments to run the business, including constantly seeking out new customers and looking for reliable employees when the time come uh, sorry, when the time comes and to grow. If you're a sole proprietor, what would you need to do if you wanted to take a week's vacation? Think about how painful that is as a, as a sole proprietor. Because you've got to plan of what's gonna be I mean, the business doesn't close just because you're away. I mean I guess you could but you're going to lose a week's worth of revenue. That's, that's painful. So there's a real cost if you decide to go on vacation of how that's going to be managed and how it's going to be ran. You'd have to plan your life around major events. I mean, imagine what flower shops are going through today on Valentine's Day. I think it's the biggest day of the year for them. Uh, yeah, that's a real challenge and a time commitment uh, for these sole proprietors. You have to think about work-life balance. Um, percent of small business owners uh, who work over 60 hours a week uh, says 20% work over 60, and then I work over 40 hours a week, um, about half working over uh, 40 hours a week. So you're not getting the time break being a sole proprietor. So partnerships is another type of uh, business. There's a couple of different types. There's a general and a limited partnership. So a general partnership is a partnership in which all owners share in operating the business and in assuming liability for the business debts. Um, this is a relationship maintained by two or more individuals where we have these roles spelled out. You know, I'm going to work on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You're going to work on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and we're going to be closing on Sunday. That's it. That's, the, that's our operating protocol. But it may be different, you know. Somebody might work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the other person Thursday, Friday, Saturday, close on Sunday, whatever. So, but it's important to have it spelled out what each partner is going to do what they're responsible for, so everybody knows what their obligation is. For limited partners, is a little bit different. This is a partnership with one or more general partners and one or more limited partners. What it means by limited is, I am limited only to what I put into this business. So let's say there's two general partners. They run the operations, but they need some money to help run the show. So they look to me and say, hey, we're doing great, but we could use some extra capital to grow the business would you lend us $50,000 for either a interest payment or some equity in this company and whatever they the terms they come up with but my limited partnership is based on that $50,000 meaning that i can't lose any more than that 50k that i put into it that's my exposure and i like the fact that it's a limited partnership because anything else that happens with that company if that company gets sued i have no part of that I'm simply just a limited partner. I put in a little bit of money. I have no exposure to them from a legal sense. And there's a benefit to that. There's also, um, you have to understand, everything we're talking about, there's costs and benefits. There's pros and cons. So um, some additional notes. General partner who's an owner, partner who has unlimited liability and is active in managing the firm. The limited partner is an owner who invests money in the business but does not have any management responsibility or liability for losses beyond that investment so limited liability is the responsibility of the business's owners for losses only up to the amount they invest limited partners and shareholders have limited liability meaning that once again if i put up 50k as an investment that's my exposure nothing more nothing less than that 50k so chuck and latanya eland took their love of travel and wine from their marriage and turned it into a business with Pop the Cork, a company that organizes tours of Georgia's wine country. So, what are the potential advantages and disadvantages of becoming business partners with a spouse or family member? What do you think? Do you think it's a good idea to go into business with a family member? Why not? Uh, leads to arguments and fights. What else? Is it a good idea? Anybody else think it's a good idea to go into business with a family member? You know, right, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I know mean, it's like, you know, common, whatever it's not to go into business with family and friends because you could take it personally. Sure. It's a business decision. Um, the answer is it really depends on the person. Like, yeah. uh, you see a lot of family businesses that, that thrive and do well. You see a lot of family businesses where people they, they go south and they never talk to each other again. I mean, it really depends on. The individual i strongly caution people against going to business with your family because like when you are done with work you go home and that is your sanctuary away from work and when you go to work that is your sanctuary away from home right you've got two worlds but if you're living in the house with somebody you're in business with and you have a disagreement at work where do you go you know what i'm saying i mean like yeah, what's up yeah i have a example of that I used to work with my uncle, Uh and my brother worked with me. Sure. So we both worked for my uncle. Yeah. And we used to fight all the time. And even though we might say we're not going to take it personally or whatever, um, people take things personally. And when i tell you this. This is just me talking like off the cuff here, but when you involve money in things, people and equity, what I mean by equity is making sure everybody is doing their fair share of work. Like, if if you go to work that day and your family member slacks off or doesn't go or vice versa, there's going to be some words, you know? like, And family members are more freely able, they feel like, to say those words. Whereas if I had a, a non-family member co-worker, I might not say anything about my observations. But if my brother or my dad or somebody else comes in, I might mouth off, talking junk, you know, and that creates kind of a hostile work environment that is not healthy and it's not good. So I just strongly caution people about going to, you, did you say you had something too? Yeah, when my mom works, um, it's like like that. Like right. They have a, <coughs> a restaurant or something like that. Okay. And then they have the the man who, has, <coughs> well, he, like, he's like the business owner with his wife at that restaurant. Okay. And they have his brother working there, and I feel so bad for him. I don't know. It's just so, so they're talking junk about the brother, yeah, and, and he's dependent upon. There every day. Yeah, I mean, but he's dependent on them to have a job. Yeah. So it creates this really bad dynamic. I mean, so you know, there's a ton of people that are in business with their family members. I just think it can create problems, but I guess you could have problems anywhere. So, I guess the the, the line I would say is just be cautious about doing that, and ask your, just ask yourself do I really want to work with this person and risk compromising the relationship over, over this place, you know, whatever. So, so some additional information, there's a couple of forms of partnerships. The master limited partnership, MLPs, is a partnership that looks much like a corporation in that it acts like a corporation and is traded on a stock exchange, but is taxed like a partnership and thus avoids the corporate incomes tax. And those are L, I'm sorry, LLP or limited liability partnership. A partnership that limits partners' risk of losing their personal assets to only their own acts of omission and or acts uh, and omissions uh, of people under their supervision. So a couple different types of partnerships there. Um, kind of spells out exactly the, the difference between the two. One of them acts like a corporation but is taxed like a partnership. The master limited partnership. The other one limits the liability to a person's acts or omissions. Um, all right so we'll get to the advantage and disadvantages the advantage of partnership is more financial resources not only do i have my assets but i've got their assets too that lend to our ability to leverage those assets if need be shared management pool complementary skills and knowledge absolutely if i don't know how to something how to do something maybe they do or if i if i spray my ankle and i've got to be out or my tire goes flat there, They could maybe step in for me and help. Longer survival. If one partner becomes ill, the other one's there to keep the business afloat. No special taxes. It's treated the same way as a sole proprietor. So those are advantages, but here's some disadvantages in a second. Questions asked when choosing a business partner, and I can't read it. I guess I'm about to walk up there. Too far away. So what types of decision maker is the person? Is this someone with whom you could happily share authority for all major business decisions? Do you trust each other? How does the person respond to adversity? Does he or she try to solve the problem or try to defend his or her ego? Can this person accept constructive criticism without getting defensive? To what extent can you build fun and excitement into the partnership? What contacts, resources, or special attributes will the person bring to the business? Are those skills the same as yours or do they complement your skills? What skills does the person have? Do you share the same vision for the company's future? Do you share the same goals? There's no such thing as a perfect partner, but you should share some common thoughts on the business. And so you should ask yourself some of these questions. Here's another thing to consider. What if your partner or potential partner doesn't have any skills? Like they're really... the, The thing is they're a warm body, they're a family member, a friend, but they really don't have... A lot of value skill sets, like be being real. Like, is this person a value add? Would I hire this person if I was making a hiring decision for a company and they're not really skilled? I mean, like, if I know this person's not dependable, they don't. They've lost five jobs in the past year. You yeah, you got to be hey. honest. What's up, John? Oh no, see you later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to be honest with yourself and be objective, um, and. I'll tell you that we all have biases and we all are blinded by some of our biases and we don't always see the truth. So it's important that you talk out some of these things with an unbiased or objective observer that you can you can be honest and say, like, I, I would say if I was going to, to open a business with a partner and there's real money involved and there's real stakes, I'd want to talk to a business consultant and let them ask you questions about What strengths does your partner possess? What weaknesses? Um, Is your partner a reliable individual? You know, you want to know these things on the front end and make the decision to not open the company with them versus getting involved and then having a toxic, problematic relationship where they're expecting half the money for not doing half the effort. That's, That's where you get into serious problems. So some disadvantages, unlimited liability, once again, by having a partner, we're not sheltering ourselves from liability. We still have liability. Division of profits, now half the money we make goes to that person. <clears throat> Disagreements amongst the partners, and then difficulty of termination. can't get rid of the person. They insist on sticking around and, and still getting half that money.'ll um, give you another example. I was involved in a small business probably almost 20 what, 20 years ago now. yeah, gosh, it's crazy it's been that long. <clears throat> in the small business, there were three partners the person who started it and a kind of a co-founder and then a a manager that ran it. And all three of them shared in the profits, but two of them didn't work there. The manager that was there ran it, and the other two just showed up for a check. Do you think that lent to problems? Oh, it lent to problems. Yeah, because the manager worked... Six days a week. They were there Monday through Saturday. And often on Saturdays, like a half day, but they were there most of the day, Monday through Friday. <laughs> and then on Friday, when the other two guys showed up for the check, you know, and the manager got the same check, you know, and they've been going off doing something else all week, yeah, that created a problem. So you got to think about um, this disagreement. And I would say, like, I think it's totally healthy and normal to sit down with a partner. And talk out what could we disagree on in the future. Let's talk about it. Like, what if, there's, uh, what if there's a disagreement about money? What if there's a disagreement about effort put into the business? You know, And talk about these things and write them down. I mean, uh, you don't want to put yourself in a situation. Remember, we talked about exit strategy. You want to be able to know how to get out of a situation before you get too deeply into it. So, good business or bad karma. Imagine that you and your partner own a construction company. You receive a bid from a subcontractor that you know is 20% too low. Such a loss to the subcontractor could put him out of business. Accepting the bid will certainly improve your chances of winning the contract for a big shopping center project. Your partner wants to take the bid and let the subcontractor suffer the consequences of his bad estimate. What do you think you should do? What will be the consequences of your decision? So... The partner is thinking about profits. Hey, I want to win this bid. The contractor made a mistake and, and gave a too low of a bid that I know is unreasonable. But that's their problem. But it's actually our problem if we accept it and they can't fulfill that need. You know, um, This happened a lot recently with just all kinds of contractors, but specifically housing contractors that would bid a job, say I can build this house for $220,000, and then inflation kicked in. And by the time they actually got to break ground six months later, everything's gone up. You know, twenty percent. You know, in cost. And so, two hundred twenty thousand turns into what? I'd just say forty-four to forty-five thousand. So two hundred sixty-five thousand. Yeah, I mean that's. I'm pretty sure that's what happened because there's a house that's being built at the end of my street. Right. But it's been like six months, and all I have is foundation. Yeah, there's it. there's a lot of stories I've heard stories from my extended family like that where. They broke ground, couldn't afford to continue, you know, so. Um, What do you think this person should do in this case? What I would do in this scenario is talk to the subcontractor and say, look, I'm going to be real with you. I think your bid's too low. I don't think you could fulfill the obligation of this contract for that price. Let's talk, let's have a... uh, even though I'd be glad to set that bid, but if you're thinking of winning because you took a low bid, but you don't actually get delivery of the product, the finished product it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter if they do it for a dollar they can't deliver you know what I'm saying so if I know it's going to cost twenty grand and this person turns in a bid for fifteen, they're not going to take a five thousand dollar loss you know i mean so it's 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 a total loss to me because I can't complete my project it jams me off i've got Two hundred grand tied up in this project, so or twenty million to make the shopping center. You know, all right. So let's talk about con- conventional corporations real quick, then we'll wrap it up. So these C corps or the big corporations is a state chartered legal entity with authority to act and have liability separate from its owners, and stockholders enables many people to share the ownership. I'm talking about individual shares of stock in a company. So. Um, You may find some confusing types of corporations when reading about them. Here are a few of the more widely used terms. Alien corporations do business in the United States, but are chartered and incorporated in another country. Domestic corporations do business in the state in which they are chartered, they're incorporated. Foreign corporations do business in one state, but are chartered in another. About one-third of all corporations are chartered in Delaware because of its relatively attractive rules for incorporation. A foreign corporation must register in states where it operates. Closed or private corporations have stock that is held by a few people and isn't available to the general public. Open or public corporations sell stock to the general public. Quasi-public corporations are chartered by the government as an approved monopoly to perform services to the general public. Uh, professional corporations are owned by those who offer professional services. And lastly, or not all or not-for-profit corporations don't seek personal profits for their owners, but they're seeking profits to to meet an end. So they may have a, they're a non-profit because they're doing something to better society in some way, you know, like the Red Cross or Salvation Army, something like that. And we'll go over these again, but some advantages to a corporation, they have limited liability. That's the big one. So... Um, more than likely, if, you're, if you own a corporation or a, a, one of a few owners of a corporation, um, you're going to have limited personal liability. You have ability to raise money for more investment. Let's say when we were doing an experiment a couple years ago. My, a friend of mine and I were talking about starting a corporation, and our objective was investment. We were just going to be a small investment company. But we were going to issue each other a million shares each. Uh, and if we did that and we saw that things were going well, we could actually sell part of our or give part of our shares to other parties, you know, and they would own equity in our corporation. Um, size is an advantage. It gives them um, ability to compete in multiple states, multiple countries. Perpetual life. Yeah, if I own a corporation or part of a corporation, when I die, those shares can transfer to another party. Ease of ownership change, yep. Ease of attracting talented employees, separation of ownership from management. Absolutely. So I can own it, but I can have another manager running it. Um, so how owners affect management. Owners have influence on how business is managed by electing a board of directors. The board hires the top officers and fires them if necessary. It also sets pay for those officers. The officers then select managers and employees with the help of the Human Resource Departments. And so this is a typical hierarchy of how corporations are arranged. Um, Owners, stockholders are at the top, and then you have the board of directors. The owners, or the stockholders, put pressure on the board to run the company the way they think it should be ran. Those board of directors hire the top corporate officers like your president, vice president, CEO, things like that. We actually have a very similar hierarchy here at JCC. You've got the board of trustees. They hire the president. The president, in turn, hires, though they it's not a corporation, but we're, we're a nonprofit, uh, but they hire other vice presidents and then on down the chain of command. Managers, as is supervised employees, and then you have the employees. Very traditional hierarchy. A lot of organizations are, uh, are arranged in this type of manner. Um, we'll take a time out here for today, but does anybody have any questions on anything we've talked about so far? So we'll just a quick recap. Talk about sole proprietor, different types of partnerships, different types of uh, uh, corporations, and we'll we'll get more into it on Thursday. Don't forget about Chapter Four, and if you've not turned in your essays or your uh, writings for the attendance the week I was gone, please do so. I will bring some essay stuff for you guys to look at on Thursday. Okay, thanks, guys.